Welcome to the show. My name is Chris Mitchell and I'm your host. Today I have Gary Linville with me. Gary is the vice president of Legacy Mutual Mortgage and our go-to guy for all lender questions for the Kirk McDonald Realtors Group. Good morning, Gary. Morning, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. Sure. How are you doing today? I'm doing real well. So did I get your title right? I know you you kind of the big honcho over there at Legacy Mutual. That'd be the correct title, yes. Awesome. Good deal. Let's just kind of jump right into it here. How did you get started in the mortgage industry? Uh, it's a great question, Chris. I, I came out of school uh, and uh, had a couple other jobs and then had the opportunity to get in the mortgage business. I couldn't even spell mortgage back then. Uh-huh. I didn't know what a mortgage was. And that was in 1993. Um, so I kind of cut my teeth in, in uh, Northeast Tarrant County, spent uh, four years with a couple of uh, companies, and I started my own company in 96. The barriers to entry at that time were a lot lower than they are now. So it didn't take a whole lot to get a mortgage company started. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all changed. With all the stuff that's happened in, in 08 and all the compliance and regulation and overlays. Um, so it's a lot more difficult to do now. But I had that company for about 15 years. And then with all the changes and things that came around in the late 2000s, I ended up selling the company to another group out of San Antonio. So I work for them. So I'm the title, I guess, vice president, but I work for them. Okay. Was that company that you started, was it Legacy Mutual or did it? Did it go by another name? The company that I started was called Paramount Mortgage. I remember Paramount. And uh, and this then the company that I sold to is Legacy Mutual Mortgage. Okay. I, I know that uh, for as, as much business as you do, I know, I know it's not just you behind the scenes. So uh, you have a team. I do have a team. How big is that team and what, what do they do exactly? Yeah, all of our loan officers have their own own pillars and, mm-hmm. and their own teams. And each team, depending on the, the level of business, could be anywhere from two to five people on the team. Okay. A mortgage is a very laborious process. Mm-hmm. There are a number of hands involved in every file. So you've got to have, everyone's got their role and their duty to move it through the assembly line, if you will, and get it closed. So on my team, I've got three that support me and within our office, uh, each one has their own team as well. You talked about the changes in, in the market that happened in around the 2008 time frame. How did you guys survive that? Uh, I know a lot of companies sort of went under during that time because, well, you know, quite frankly, they were surviving on adjustable rate mortgages and, and loans that maybe shouldn't have been made. Great question. And, and I'll tell you, Chris, if you've not seen, if anyone's not seen the movie The Big Short or read the book, Go watch it. That we live that, and I, I don't want to bore you with too much detail, but you know, in the mid two thousands, loans started coming in the marketplace that anyone could buy a house, and investors were competing not on price but on underwriting. You know, it was okay if you've had a bankruptcy a year ago, then the next guy would come in and go, oh, if you if it's only been six months, we can still do the deal. So you, there was almost a place to put every loan. Right. And these were risky loans. They begin to to falter, and and there's what happened in the 08 mess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They thought these were good A paper loans and they weren't. And right. So everything began to crater. Those were called subprime loans. We did less than 5% subprime loans mm-hmm. when those were going on. There was a lot of companies, that's all they did. Right. So that's kind of what kept us around is just doing good business mm-hmm. uh, and keeping that subprime component pretty low. So when you saw a lot of companies fail because of that, we had pretty good traction. We had a good footprint in the marketplace and were able to survive. After from, you know, 08 to 12 and in, even in the 13, a lot of refinancing. So refinancing kept us in business because mm-hmm. purchases were slower. Builders were slower. So that kept us going through, call it 8 to 2012. 
and then we've seen a more healthy purchase market since then. Yeah, I remember a lot of the, the stated income, the, the no-dot loans. If you had a pulse, you had a loan. <laughs> yeah, I give a couple examples. One, we called it the driver's license loan, and this is a fact. If you had a credit score over 740, we didn't need to see a bank statement. We didn't need to see a pay stub. We didn't need to see a tax return. I needed a copy of your driver's license. You could put 5% down and close in a week. Wow. Literally. And, and I'll say something also, stated income, okay? Stated incomes are good loans. They, you know, if somebody's got perfect credit, their tax returns are two inches thick, they're putting 20 or 30% down on the house, they have, you know, again, they have perfect credit, what are the odds of that loan going bad? That's not going to happen. And so stated income are, are actually good loans. Okay. Where we got off the rails is... It went from 20 or 30% down to perfect credit. We were doing zero down investment property loans with bad credit and not looking at income. And that's where things, it did, the pendulum just swung so hard that way, mm-hmm. it began to create a lot of problems. But just a stated income in general, and we're starting to see those creep back into the marketplace now. Mm-hmm. And I'm great with that if they're designed properly. Right. Let's get down to sort of the, the nitty gritty of mortgages. Looking at things from the buyer side, let's start from the basics. What is a, a mortgage? Sure. You know, mortgages, it's a mortgage-backed security. It's basically a bond. So these uh, mortgages are backed by quasi-government entities, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Okay. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac put out their guidelines that we have to adhere to for these loans to be saleable. And so big investors and banks purchase mortgages. So a mortgage is basically a long-term debt on residential real estate. And you can do something that's the interest rate doesn't change for 30 years. It mm-hmm. doesn't change for 15 years. The best tool to buy a home that you're going to live in is a mortgage. I mean, there's all kinds of different types of loans out there. But if you can qualify for a mortgage, mm-hmm. it's the best way to finance real estate. Okay. You mentioned types of loans. So what types of loans are there? And let's kind of stick, I guess, with the, the main, you know, VA, FHA, conventional. Sure. Basically, there's three types of mortgages. There's conventional, there's FHA, and there's VA. And there's different reasons, and I won't bore you with all that, on on why we advise clients to go to a specific type of loan. Sometimes it's credit score driven. Sometimes it's down payment driven. Sometimes it's the ability to qualify for that loan. Those are the main three buckets that that we put the uh, clients in. And so again, it just depends on everyone's situation. You know, in today's market where real estate prices are just climbing and climbing, it seems to be getting to that point where it's leveling off a, a bit. You, you have a lot of people who are juggling that question of, should I rent? Should I buy? What's your look on that? Are there benefits to buying versus renting and, and, and vice versa? You know, I think everyone wants to have, you know, a home. And I think for most people, it's kind of the American dream to own a home. I would say, yeah, if you can, if you can buy a home, buy a home it's rather than just throwing money away with rent. When it comes down to just payments, if someone's got a sweetheart deal through family and their rent's 500 a month, it's hard to build an argument for a $200,000 house. But that's usually not the case. I mean, most people are renting, trying to save to get into a house. But there's tax advantages with interest and property taxes mm-hmm. that are deductible, and some of those rules may be changing. Every payment you're paying down on the loan amount or the loan that you've borrowed, so you're creating equity in that house. And so if the other thing that to think about is, there's not always appreciation. Texas, we've had pretty good, steady appreciation. But if you own a home for three, five, seven years, 
chances are the house is going to be worth more than what you paid for it. So when you go to buy a different house, buy up, there's an equity component that you can take from that house you sell and go put towards another house. So there's a lot of advantage to find to buying. Let's say I'm a buyer, say I'm a first time home buyer and, and I'm, I'm new to this whole buying process. What are some things I should consider whenever I decide to purchase on the, the mortgage side? It is a scary, daunting task if you've never bought a home. So one of the first questions I always ask, just to kind of clear there, is, are you nervous? Nine times out of 10, they'll kind of just get this relief across their face. Yes, we're nervous. We don't know what we're doing. We're to want to buy this house. So I think with a first-time homebuyer, it's a hold the hand. It's a walk them through the process, tell them what to expect. Because again, if you've not done this, it can be kind of a, a scary thing. So we, we spend a lot of time in those situations explaining as best we can where you are now, what we're about to go through, and what it's going to look like when we close. What type of documents and, and information are do you need? So, if, so for instance, if I'm getting ready to buy a, buy a house, what should I be gathering right now? Everything. No, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, there, again, this gets back to conforming to the guidelines that we are required to live by with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. But it's tax returns. It's pay stubs. It's bank statements. It's driver's license. And every loan is different. So this person, we may need this. This person, we may not need a certain document. But it's anything that has to do with your financial situation. Credit, what bills were paid late. Do we have the money for down payment? Can you qualify for, for this house based on what you make? It's uh, really any document that has to do with finances is what we're going to be asking for. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about getting pre-approved. I want to touch on this because a lot of times buyers think the first step in buying a house is finding the house. Won't even consider the loan side of things until they've found the house. Let's talk about getting pre-approved and what that entails and how that benefits a buyer when they actually find that house versus a buyer who's not pre-approved. I think it's crazy to go looking for houses before you've got the, your financial house in order. I think that if you have been pre-approved and you, you've worked through that process, a couple things. One, it gives you confidence in buying. When you go into the marketplace, you're ready to write a contract and you know that you can successfully get this to the finish line and get closed. And through that pre-approval process, a couple of things are learned. One, a lot of times it's shocking off for the clients. They're like, oh, we didn't know that. Uh, we didn't know the payments would be that much. We had to have how much at closing? Uh, so it educates the people buying the house, as well as when you go to make an offer with a, you know, at least with, with our pre-qualification letters, it's as good as cash. We're saying we can get this closed. Now, a lot of times I will get a call from the seller or I'll even call the seller and say, hey, here's the deal. We've got a good qualified client here. I've been doing this a long time. I know that they're solid and ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I think that is the first. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, it's a phone call and it's a 15 minute conversation that I have. And then you know you're good to go. Because I can't tell you this happened to me twice last week. The number of times someone has taken someone to the house and they've run around all afternoon and then their credit's terrible. Or for whatever reason they can't qualify, then everyone's wasted their time. So I think it's crucial to do that up front. Is there a difference between pre-approved and pre-qualified? You know, I get that question all the time. I call the terms synonymous because if the loan officer knows what they're doing, I'm not sending a pre-approval, pre-qualified, whatever you want to call the, the letter until I know the deal's solid. Fannie and Freddie have automated underwriting engines, okay? So we can plug in all of Chris Mitchell's information and punch a button and it'll say approve or not approve. Well, I have to substantiate that information. I can put in there whatever I want. 
Back to your question, I call them, you know, really synonymous. Some people will say, oh, well, you're not pre-qualified, you're pre Bottom line is, can you, do you qualify to buy this house? Right. And so if somebody wants the wording changed to pre-approval or pre-qual, that's fine. But I call them synonymous terms. I know a lot of buyers I talk to are trying to figure out a way to get into a home as cheap as they can or as, as easy as, as they can. And a lot of the questions I get are about home buying programs. Can you touch a little bit on home buying programs and hit on maybe some of the benefits for those as well as some of the things our buyers need to look out for? Sure. You know, there's different loans have different down payment requirements. Some have no down payment requirements. Some of the grant programs, people can get in pretty inexpensively to a home. It, it comes with uh, a lot of rules, guidelines, and strings. Uh, but, but a lot of times there are great programs that are designed to help people buy the first house. When you get into the, like we talked about earlier, the conventional and FHA VA boxes, you can do conventional loans without grant at 3% down. FHA is 3.5% down. VA is a great loan. I just want to make that comment. A lot of people are scared of VA and VA appraiser. Oh, no, it's a VA. VA loans are great loans. We do a lot of them. They are zero down for the veteran. VA loans are something that, that I always ask every client. Have you ever been in the military? Because if they have, I'm going to kind of move towards the, the VA route. Right. And these programs are constantly evolving, trying to come up with new ways for home ownership. Because the first house is the hardest one to buy. Right. You know, saving that money for down payment or closing costs, it's the hardest one to buy. The second, third, you, you hopefully have equity from a sale of a home that makes it easier. The first one's always the hardest one. What's the first step in getting a loan? First step is like we talked about earlier, just the pre-qualification process. To take 10 to 15 minutes with somebody, take a look at the credit, ask what they do for a living, what do incomes look like, do we have money saved? Those basic questions, kind of the starting point. Once all that appears to be good, then you move towards buying the house and through the actual mortgage and processing piece. And a lot of clients, are they're scared to either they're embarrassed about something that's happened, they don't think they can actually qualify, but to put them at ease and just be able to kind of talk them through where they stand in the process is invaluable. It's a short conversation, the very first one. And a lot of, a lot of people will say, well, I don't want my payment over this, or I can go up to this amount. So to be able to kind of define and structure that to where they want to be, that's invaluable. It allows people to say, okay, if we buy a $300,000 house, it's really going to stretch us more than we want. Our comfort zone is two to 20. And so it kind of gives them a guide for what price range they're, they're wanting to look in. And I tell people all the time, there are two different numbers out there. What do you qualify for and what can you afford? Those are two different numbers. We have some clients that they can qualify for a lot more than they want on a monthly basis. I always laugh and say, yeah, your qualifying number is X. Oh, we couldn't afford that. There's no way you could afford that. But it also goes the other way where my job turns from advisor to I've got to figure out a way to get them in this house because they're, they're stretching themselves here. Like I said, there's two different numbers. What can you qualify for and what can you afford? Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the appraisal piece of things. I think that's one thing that gets lost in the whole shuffle. Both buyers and sellers are assuming that the house is going to appraise because that's what they agreed upon as far as the the purchase price. How can appraisals impact the real estate transaction? Great question. And I I want to circle back to the very beginning of your comment with sellers. We try to keep everyone informed because the last thing you want to happen is a deal fall apart at the end. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to pre-qualification at the beginning. And I don't want to 
pat ourselves on the back, but we don't have deals fall apart because you've done your work at up front. Mm-hmm. I get a call a week. Hey, this deal's falling apart. What can you do? Right. The bottom line is they were either afraid to tell the person they didn't qualify up front, it got away from them, and now you've got a seller that's packed up ready to move and the person can't close. You just can't have that. You've got to make sure that, that everyone is informed and that if you say the deal's good, the deal's good because you disrupt all kinds of lives if that doesn't happen. On the appraisal, that's one of the biggest questions we get. Every loan, and we're actually, believe it or not, beginning to see some appraisal waivers, mm-hmm. um, which were, that was something that was real big in the mid-2000s, and we're beginning to see that creep back in the marketplace. So appraisal waivers, that's situations where an appraisal is, is not needed? Not needed. That's right. And, and it has to do with the strength of the file, and they're running uh, kind of behind-the-scenes comps of, is this house worth this value? It's, right now, it's, we're seeing it's about less than 5% we're getting appraisal, appraisal waivers, but I could see that coming more in the marketplace. And when a buyer and a seller agree on a price, an appraisal, a lot of people think that that appraiser is going out there and appraising the house, and you know he doesn't know what anyone's paying for it. He's just doing it blind. That's not the case. We have to send the contract to the appraiser. Mm-hmm. So they know what two parties are willing to sell and buy for. So the appraisal is not there. Appraiser told me one time, it is not there to set value in the neighborhood. It's there to justify that collateral to the lender. If uh, you and I agree on a price of two seventy five, okay, that appraiser knows this is what they've agreed upon. Is that value there? Usually it is because they're operating off of the same comparables that the real estate agents used when selling the house. Mm-hmm. But everyone is always real concerned about the appraisal because if the appraisal comes in too low, then you know, you've kind of got a, a problem that you have to deal with. But we see that very rarely. Good. You know, we're heading into the new year, 2019. Where do you see the market, the local market, the, the Fort Worth market going January 2019 to, to the end of the year? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. We have had a pretty hard shift from a seller's market to more neutral or almost a buyer's market mm-hmm. as the 2018 year moved moved on. So what happens in that situation? First of all, you see values either hold or move down a little bit. So we've seen values move down a little bit. I call this this fall kind of shock and awe. Because we had unbelievable heat. We had all kinds of rain. We had a midterm election. You had rates move up in October. You've got the market moving from uh, a seller more to a buyer market. So there was a lot of uncertainty through the fall. If I'm looking in my crystal ball, I think we see a pretty stabilized market kind of moving through the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And I think that 2019 is going to be a, a pretty healthy market for both sides, for the the buyer and the seller. Uh, who knows what rates will do? You know, one economist will tell you rates are going to be higher. Another one will say lower. So we don't know what will really happen with rates, but I think it's going to be a, a healthy market. You know, a neutral market, not a heavy buyer, not a heavy seller market is a healthy market. You know, we look at, you know, inventories and, and how long houses are sitting out there. And I think we're positioned pretty well going into the first quarter as a pretty healthy market. So I, I'm pretty optimistic about 2019. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of news reports and they're all over the place. So All over the place. And so you kind of, you drift towards the one you want to you want to listen to. Well, that about wraps up my questions for you, Gary. So I wanted to thank Gary for spending some time with us. Uh, if you have any questions or need to uh, contact Gary, uh, Gary, what, what's a good number for them to reach you at? Yeah, our office number is 
Great. And is there an email address you'd like to give out? There is. It's G, then my last name, L-I-N-V, like Victor, I-L-L-E, at Legacy, L-E-G-A-C-Y, Mutual, M-U-T-U-A-L.com. Perfect. Well, Gary, again, thank you for coming out and spending some time with us. Until next time, y'all have a great day. Thanks, Chris.